Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Sanctum for another week. My name is Emma Race and I'm so excited because prelims are my kink. I'm of course joined by the pussy riot of the football commentary world. It's my football loving lady sisters of the Sanctum. I'm gonna let them introduce themselves. <laughs> Meow. Hi, it's Lucy. <laughs> it's Shelley Ware. Hi, it's Tess Armstrong. Teddy back it's on the mic. Out. Tess Armstrong. It's good to How see your you? faces. Well, not that I don't love my child and dog and partner, but it's Lovely to see three other faces. Yesterday I got a jab. It was very exciting. I've been waiting a long time and it was an extremely exciting time. And the lady asked, you know, I said, it's 15 minute waiting time. And I thought, this is the first time I've been alone in quite a long time. Could I make it 30? But it was good. It was amazing. <laughs> There's nothing quite like getting vaccinated to be a holiday away from your family. (laughs) Hang on, on that, I'm just going to rip straight into a topic. I was shocked this week to find out that the footballers are not vaccinated, but all the Olympians were to be able to go to Tokyo. Were you guys shocked about this? Completely. I was really shocked given that they've been travelling around the country and they've been given special dispensation to cross borders and you know, getting to do lots of things that artists aren't able to do, ordinary folk aren't able to do. On the positive side, we've seen quite a few clubs really take matters into their own hands. I think we saw today that the Sydney Swans are 100% of all of their staff and players have had their first vaccination. There's clubs in Victoria like North Melbourne who have really been leading the charge and the North AFLW girls put out a, a video this week encouraging people to go and get vaccinated. I've seen players like Sean Burgoyne taking his kids along to get vaccinated. So there's a lot of people in the footy industry are are doing their bit, but the AFL haven't formulated a policy yet and that's not likely to come until the end of the season. It's fascinating how we always see clubs leading the AFL often. The clubs have dug in. North Melbourne, unbelievable. They were straight out of the gates, couldn't wait to get going. And it was such a relief, actually, to see them. And I've been seeing lots of players, lots of young players as well, Instagramming when they're getting their jabs, posting pictures, which is actually wonderful. And I've been thinking a lot about the rights and responsibilities weighing up of this year. Players getting to fly around. We had NRL players and partners getting to get into a state where Women who'd just given birth to a premier baby couldn't see their baby. That is, to me, fully vaccinated people couldn't see their children and players who were not vaccinated and partners could fly in. And I just find that just 
that is not comprehensible to me. But I also think we're seeing a fascinating weighing up from public people about what the risk of supporting either side is. We've seen this week with Guy Sebastian in an attempt, I think, not to offend anybody. He's ended up offending probably everybody. And that is a real risk in this moment. But I also think if you're a person online and you and you make a stance, the personal backlash that you can get from some of those communities online can be really intense. And so I understand why some people are hesitant personally, which is why it's important when clubs and organisations as an umbrella take the charge because it takes the pressure off those individuals to be the public face of anything, really. And ultimately it's just a choice. Are you making a choice about your own well-being? So if somebody's talking about it, they're only talking about it providing you a with information and education about something. They're not forcing you and taking you along to get it done. Ultimately, it's your choice. I think what you've brought up, Emma, is it was just luck. The AFL were just lucky nobody got COVID, like in the fact with no vaccine and travelling all through Australia. So there's a real element of luck that nothing actually bad happened. Where it's going to come to the crunch, I think, is that the AFL and the Players Association may not make it mandatory, but then everyone's going to be operating in a world where state governments are potentially making it mandatory, stadiums, airlines. So it's going to become impossible to actually work as part of the AFL to be an AFLM or an AFLW player or staff in that area and not be vaccinated. And the same could be said for junior and community football. I get the feeling, and I could be completely wrong, but I get the feeling with the vaccination, it's now, it's your choice moving forward. This is the way the world's going to operate. And you'll either fit into this world or you'll have to work in a different capacity within it. And I don't think it's about leaving people behind. I think it's just we can't wait for you anymore. This is where we're going forward. All right. We do want to talk some footy because there was, oh, my goodness, there was one absolute snore fest of a game on the weekend. And then by (laughs) all other accounts, there was potentially the greatest match that has ever been played of all time. We really, it was swings and roundabouts on the weekend. I'd love to come around and hear your highlights. Does anyone have a highlight from the GWS Geelong game? Zach Tui is a highlight for me because if there is one player I feel like has comes in and has such an impact in a role that is not necessarily the star role. It's Zach Tui. When he is in Geelong's side, they are a better side, particularly missing Tom Stewart. Rumours swirling about Tom Stewart making it back. So if he comes back, look out. But Zach Tui for me, he's a highlight all the time. He is. The one group of people I felt really sorry for was Sydney Swans and Sydney Swans supporters because when you watch your team go down in a nail biter and then that team that's beaten you the following week doesn't salute Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. We know that Toby Green wasn't playing. There's something about that that just kills you. Like really can can really slay you. It's it's like when you get left for a new partner and then you meet them and you go, they don't even like football. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get to the highlights of the Saturday night game. I have to be honest, I lay on the couch watching it, squealing with delight. I felt like I was watching an action movie or a basketball game. It was just all the way up one end, all the way down the other end. Scores were level for so long. I thought we're going to go to extra time here and nothing could have made me happier. I felt exactly the same. I was squealing. My son tried to talk in the last five minutes. I don't think I've screamed at him that loud to be quiet in his whole entire life. The goal from Bailey Smith with his left foot. It's so good to see a player who can use both sides of his body and not have to do the big turn around to actually kick the goal. 
And, you know, that point of difference and going back and forth and all of that excitement, it was so much fun. But a little bit of controversy wasn't there about the umpires. I don't like to bag the umpires because I couldn't do it. And if I did do it, Nicole Hayes would be screaming like nobody's business because I would be yelling out, play on, play on the whole entire time just for the flow of the game and she would be losing her marbles. So I don't like to speak about that, but that was a huge problem for a lot of people. Mm, It was. Lucy, what was your highlight? Well, I went back and watched the last two minutes again today and to tell you the truth, it stands up as a short film. (laughs) I like it also that there's the double Bailey because Bailey Smith kicked that goal and put the dogs six points up and then Zach Bailey answered in a really lovely goal as well down the other end Mm. and then everything was all tied up. And can I just say for the record, Bailey Ladders used to be a sponsor of what I think was the umpires and I really (laughs) missed it, though I will just do a quick salute to the fact that pedigree on the back of the dog's jumpers makes me happy every single week. So good. That and OPSM on the back of the umpires made me so happy. I'm like, it's oh, it's just a commercial match made in heaven, chef's kiss. I'm going to do a little call out to Taylor Duray who (laughs) his chasing Charlie Cameron at the end of that game was surely match winning. He must have been shitting himself through every single step of that because he starts the run before Charlie takes off and Charlie still beats him, but he does just enough. It is poetry in motion. I think that that's what won the match. You know, mm-hmm. that's a, those one percenters that are ugly, that your kids never want to do, they all want to kick mm. the goal, but that that one, the match, is such a message. Tess, what was your highlight? Well, I, I was laughing about us saying we went in as neutrals because I always intend to go in as a neutral to any game. But then within about five minutes, I've naturally picked a side and I don't know what <laughs> it was. And I naturally was going for the Lions. I was standing up, you know, you say you were squealing. I was doing the standing up, right? The walking around the room, the dog was stressing out, the dog was following, following over here. Well, the dog was going there. for the dogs. <laughs> the dog was going for the dogs. He was like, what are you doing? Why are you so cross? It had it all. It was one of the epic finals. It had Bont's injury. You know, you're not sure if he's going to play next week. It Ooh. had this amazing goal. A vaccination, well, I know it's ice in the veins, but a vaccination celebration for the ages, which really puts it in the moment. <laughs> and for me, it was a non-neutral crowd, which was so special because the, the crowd was loud and they were so up and about. And I just had really missed that completely non-neutral crowd and it had sad Chris Fagan, which made me cry at the end of the game, despite the fact that I don't barrack for the lines and I'm not really invested, but I just didn't want him to be sad. And it had Nakaya Cockatoo, which I will say, looks like he's in a teenage movie where he's gone away, got a renovation, kind of got a makeover and he's glow come up. back to school. He's got a glow up. <laughs> he looks like a completely different person. They said, that's Nakaya Cockatoo. This person is three times the size of Nakaya Cockatoo. Had it all, guys. Makeover's the lot. It was amazing. <laughs> I loved it. And I felt distracted completely invested in that game in a way that I haven't lost sight of, you know, the stressful reality that we live in for quite a long time. And for that that five minutes of that end of that game, I just had no cares in the world except for that, that moment. It was special. It did feel particularly mean on the eve of Father's Day for everyone's dad, Chris Fagan, to look so sad. (laughs) Oh, true. (laughs) So true. It was cruel. If I could have sent him pancakes the next day, I would have. Hard to get them over the border. Yeah. It's easier to get an AFL player over the border than a pancake for Chris Fagan. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready to roll up your sleeves and get your vax and melee, ladies? (laughs) 
Did you wear short sleeves, Tess? Rookie era because Rookie I live in a cold town. Of course, I wore a jumper. Well, it's because you haven't malleted for so long. You didn't. You forgot that you had to roll up your sleeves to do <laughs> it. Second jab. I'm going sleeveless. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing a footy jumper. Perfect. <laughs> Shelley, you saw something that really gave you a lot of pleasure this week. It's a beautiful story. Jared Harbrow. He used to play for the Gold Coast Suns, but he's actually retired and he's been a part of that community for 11 years. He's been outstanding. He's done years of work within the community. You know, he started the No Boundaries Partnership Program in schools in 2011, which is to keep at-risk Indigenous primary school kids at school. He developed and initiated cultural awareness within the club while he was there. He also launched the Harbrow mentoring program to incorporate Indigenous female athletes. He's a true leader on and off the field and he'll be rewarded with a legacy that will continue. The Gold Coast Suns have decided to name Community Award and it'll be known as the Jared Harbrow Community Award. If he was in Victoria when he retired, it would have been Eddie Betts, Sean Burgoyne and Jared Harbrow that we would have been praising. But he quietly just slipped away. You know, there wasn't much said about him and he's the one who's been doing all this magnificent work throughout his whole entire career and just so proudly and just so quietly making changes in real kids' lives that's going to have real impact for their futures. So I salute him today and I just wanted to say well done. I'm very proud of him. It made me think about something that we've talked about a bit this year and I guess we talked about in in light of the Tex Walker issue which was that we required again in the eye of, of a racism storm we require and we lean on First Nations players to do all this heavy lifting and I've been thinking about it this week and you might laugh at me but I'm always trying to think about reverse engineering ways that we can change the system. It's been disappointing that we don't have more First Nations captains in either AFL-M or AFLW. And I was thinking maybe we should make sure that at every single club we have a captain, then we also have an Indigenous captain and so that they stand up there together. When we've got, say, NAIDOC week or we've got the Indigenous round or whatever it is, we kind of dust off our Indigenous players and roll them out and then we do the same when when there's an issue abound. Well, what's in it for these people? Seriously, this game has come from our First Nations community If we want to really honour it, then we need to reset what a leader looks like. And how do we do that? Captains of footy clubs are really respected around this country and and in the culture. And what a beautiful thing to do. We we give an acknowledgement of country and then we also sing the national anthem. How do we actually walk the walk on this? Am I mad, Shelley, to think that this is something that people would want to adopt? I, I think people wouldn't do it for the reason that people would say, oh, it's just because, or they're only doing it as a token, or they're only doing it because they feel like they have to. And where you're coming from is a different place, but unfortunately the wider community would see it very differently and they would probably have a negative spin on it. But I I think what you're getting to is that we do lead differently. You know, we we aren't the people at the front carrying on like pork chops or, you know, the ones yelling out and, and, you know, demanding attention. We lead very differently and have private conversations and make sure, you know, things are sorted out here and there and everywhere. But, you know, that's not rewarded within the AFL system and that's what needs to change. They need to start lifting these players and saying, okay, he might not be doing it this style that we're so used to, let's lift him because he's actually a true leader in doing this and she's actually a true leader in doing this. And everybody listens when they speak. Everybody listens. That's when you know you've got yourself a true leader in the room and that's the, they're the ones that we should be looking at and lifting. And we just get overlooked all the time. 
So if we started looking at the different styles of leadership and getting to know them and learning how Aboriginal people lead, then that's probably where the difference would lie. What I think is great is just this conversation about how leadership can be so different and that I don't think a lot of organisations and individuals necessarily have a very broad view of what leadership is and how it should look. And I really welcome the idea of having a much broader idea and understanding and definition of what it is to lead. Again, I think we have gone so far in this country where Everything comes down to white history and white ideas of how systems work and how we organise things. We haven't been open to our black history and I want us to be open to not only our black history but black culture and I want us to learn and I want us to all benefit from that. So I think it's I think it's really worth, worthwhile and really would welcome it. Oh, I'd love it. I think as well a lot of clubs would think and I, I don't know, but I, I think they would think they have this in an unofficial way. For teams with many Indigenous players, there is often a player who is the unofficial leader of that club. I think what we're talking about is whether or not as a public we can see that and the clubs hold them out as equal leaders in their different ways. And so I know that there are lots of Indigenous players who are the people doing that private conversation with other players within clubs. And I think what we've got to get to is that the public understands that's happening. Not every leader needs a title. And in fact, a lot of leaders with titles aren't leaders at all. And so I think that we have to shake up a little bit how we view people in positions of leadership whether they're actually doing the leading is um, debatable. So I think there are lots and lots of people and lots and lots of ways in which we can kind of see these people. And I think what you're talking about is that visual sign to the public that these are the leaders of our club. And recognition and and front-footing it, giving recognition and giving status and recognition before we ask people to do the heavy lifting and the work to clean up the mess. Yes. So just thinking about Eddie Betts and his time at Carlton, he was definitely seen as a leader. And you're right, Emma, that would have been magnificent to see him come out as a club captain because we all knew that that was what he was within the club. So I I really love what you've actually said. I'll just go and make it happen now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Shell. One of the biggest news stories of the week has been Lockie Neal's aspiration to travel home. Tess, what do you think? I need to say, usually on this podcast we say AFLW, AFLM, trade period, hug your loved ones. If only we could hug our loved ones, which is exactly why Lockie Neal is having this conversation with Brisbane. He and his wife, Jules, are expecting a baby in October. They are going through what every person in the world is currently going through, which is that we are separated from our loved ones in such an extraordinary once-in-a-lifetime way that nobody could have seen coming. And it just so happens that this player is from WA, he came there, he's going back, he's got a front-ended contract or whatever you're going to hear about in the next couple of weeks. Really, when you look at it, these are two human beings who are having a family. It is one of the most vulnerable times of your life when you are starting a family and you. lots of people naturally want to be near their loved ones. Before I had my baby, I moved home to be closer to my family. Home is a funny old concept. It's different for everybody. Not everybody needs to be with their family, but after the birth and the baby that I got, I have never been more grateful that I had my mum at least nearby. It's been one of the most glorious, obviously, but also one of the most lonely times of my life. And if I hadn't had my mum, I don't think I would have survived at all. 
WA has one of the most extraordinary hard borders with the rest of the states. And if you are from WA or if you're maybe from a different state and currently living in WA, it is only natural that you might think, what's important to me and how am I going to make my family and uh, my life happier? We've seen Adam Sirrett have that decision as well to leave WA so that he can be close to his family. These are extraordinary times and I think that we simply must be able to see this is a great story, right? It is a human being with his family. It is also a massive footy story. You have to be able to have those conversations at the same time, which is quite complicated and not necessarily easy to do that. I will say I remember when I was a little little Tess, footy brat, <laughs> and I went to primary school one day and someone said, oh, you know, I heard you're moving to WA, right? And I was like, what? Because their dad had read in the paper that my dad was going to get a job at whatever club and off we were going, which, of course, I had never heard that before and I was freaking out as a little person thinking, oh, my God, my whole life is going to be thrown up. And I just thought I remember at the time thinking this is a weird conversation to have with you about my actual life versus your footy team that you're highly invested in and emotionally invested in, which is completely understandable. I'm staggered that however many years later we are still kind of unable to have a conversation with these people without centering them as human beings and family members and husbands and sons first. And especially during COVID, if we have no empathy in this moment that people need to reassess what's important to them and how their life works, and we have this really hard line of what we're owed from sports people, then it actually makes perfect sense to me why Lockie Neal hasn't come forward with this conversation before now. I've heard a few pundits, mostly men, talking about how unacceptable or how shocking it is that he didn't raise this earlier and that it hasn't come through his people, that it's just come from him and it's just like what he did when he left Frio. And my th- my thinking on that is, well, because everything that you've ever shown us is if, if we say something out loud in the middle of the season, then it's all you'll talk about for six months and it will be impossible for me to do my job and it will be impossible for my wife to get any peace because you'll blame her. And we've seen this play out time and time Mm -hmm. again. So I say more power to you, Lockie. I think you have earned the right and every human has the right to decide where they want to live. And if he's got the goods and he does, then surely there's no better time for him to actually put his family first and say what he wants. Also, all he has done in this situation in this week is put it to the club, which I think is the right thing to do, to say to Brisbane, this is what conversation I'm having with my family at the moment. That is actually the right thing to do in terms of being an employee that is keeping your employer in the mix. He may or may not have spoken with Fremantle. Fremantle may or may not want Lockie Neal to go back to their club. There is so much left to play out, in which case, for example, just say Freo doesn't say we have room for you. And Lockie Neal still decides to go to, to WA and move on with his life outside football. What would the conversation be? I mean, this this is a human being and his family. We just have to wait and see. I think he's done all the right things at this stage and we just have to wait and see how it plays out. He's definitely done the right thing. The last two weeks in our house has been about moving to Brisbane. You know, this time is really difficult. You know, and I want to see my son living a life where he goes out and he surfs every day because that's his passion. You know, so we're we have to make these decisions as people. So I'm just letting you know, out of sanctum, people, that there's a possibility that I might move to Brisbane. <laughs> so we talk about that all season, you know, it might make me change. But it's so unfair the way that we carry on about people's personal decisions in their life that are for the well-being of their family. Mm. 
That's you right. know we front-loaded your contract, Shelley, so <laughs> there'll be a bit to play out. What about a, a swap? Computer. A swap for Shelley goes to Brisbane. Lockie goes to WA. I don't know who we're getting from WA. Well, we're getting Adam, so that's all right. That'll work out. Well, and also, works. Shelley, you're going to have to have nine guest rooms, but that's going to be fine, obviously. That'll be fine. You'll buy a hotel. <laughs> Beautiful. I do acknowledge that it's also really hard when you're losing players, and I get that, Luke. I want to pick up on something you said, Em. You said empathy, and that's the thing that I really hope that post-COVID and even at this point where we're not quite post it, that empathy is a guiding principle and a guiding value for all of us in the way that we approach everything in life. It's really interesting you talking about this in terms of contracts and pay. And I saw an article this week where David King was saying, is this the end of big contracts for AFLM players? Did he say AFLM? <laughs> AFLM. <laughs> if David King ever says AFLM, we can retire. Look, he didn't, but I said that. In our last week when we were talking about what we're prepared to accept post-COVID, some of the things that we talked about was being really explicit about what we wanted to see about organisations working with what they've got. And for me, it's always about aligning with your values. And a big one in that is equality. So I was really excited this week to see the landmark pay deal for elite netballers in this country. They are going to now remain the highest paid women athletes in domestic clubs in Australia. They will be paid up to 22% more in this two-year deal, which involves a massive new broadcast agreement with Foxtel and KO. So every game in 2022 will be shown live. What's really exciting is that the average minimum salary has gone up to $43,000 for netballers and the average maximum salary is at $91,500. Training players are also going to see an increase. But what I think is great is that against this backdrop of COVID and against a backdrop of two incredibly difficult seasons for netball, the organisation has shown what is possible and the broadcast deal has been key and that's been a key part of the puzzle. I think it sets a benchmark now for other sports, namely AFLW. And when you think about the minimum wage for an AFLW player, that is now, that's less than half of what a player gets in netball. So it'll be really interesting to see what impact this has on other sports. Look, we know what the challenges are for AFLW players being part-time and how difficult it is to fit work in around training, pre-season, pre-pre-season, all of those, you know, changeables. And we saw an initiative from the AFLW a few weeks ago called Workplay, which is a career and networking platform to connect women athletes with organisations. At the moment, it's really open to only open to AFLW players, but there's a chance it'll be open to other women athletes in the future. And it reminds me a bit of what the Minerva Network's been doing in terms of having that partnership between business and organisations and athletes to really give women the support that they need and mentoring advice and all sorts of things. Yeah, I remember an initiative a little while ago where Australia Post had a lot of Olympians working for them and I always remember thinking, goodness me, imagine Cathy Freeman delivering your mail. You'd get it so quickly. (laughs) 
And I love this partnership. I think it's really important because it's because it's a way to support the players, but it's got to be seen as a stopgap because I would really hate it to stop the conversation on how we get equal pay because they've been given other opportunities. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Chelsea Randall, and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. One thing that I wanted to bring up was that we've been talking about Ross Lyon going for the Carlton job. This week we saw that he bowed out of the process. What I thought was interesting is that Carlton is incredibly well tied to their Carlton Respects program and their AFLW program and their AFLW players are incredibly respected. The culture at Carlton is very equal. And I'll remind you that Ross Lyon left Rio in 2019 after an investigation into allegations of sexual harassment of a staff member. So I think that it it wasn't going away, that conversation. And I think the fact that Patty Kinnersley is on the board at Carlton and she is the head of our watch, I think that what's happened is that a lot of strong women of Carlton put their voices to the club and said part of the process has got to be us having a conversation about this and I'm not sure if that's why he said I'm not going to be part of the process. But what I think we've seen is that since he was last a coach, which was 2019, the world has really changed and people and corporations and organisations are tying themselves to what is equal and what is fair. And I was pleased to think that women's voices at Carlton were respected and at least given a platform to have this conversation because I don't see it in Parliament. But to think that football can have that conversation made me very proud. Carlton people were were pretty vocal on Twitter. I do know that there were many voices from the outer. They were both women and men that wrote to the club and they were very vocal about this. You know, the respect program is something that we're very proud of at Carlton, making a stand for violence against women. And we don't know the allegations and we will never know what happened in that situation. But what it does bring is it brings a cloak over the whole area. You know, how can you have a respects program and not know the answers to what's going on in his life? So it brought too much doubt. And I think that's where the voice from the outer came. And it's and possibly that's what was heard. It was fascinating. I mean, if you had watched only traditional football media, it was a sure thing that Ross had that job. And if you were listening to alternative voices, looking at the conversation elsewhere, uh, that's where those murmurings were. And I think that's fascinating, actually, that, that we've seen significant change clearly in football culture for there even to have been a conversation. I do think that Carlton particularly are a club that's going to need to go forward. They're going to need somebody. They Firstly, they're going to need to support a senior coach 
and they're going to need to support that person into the future. But they're not winning necessarily a flag. I mean, I hope they do for all the Blues people out there. Next year, a process is very important in finding the right coach for a club. If you're putting something in place and other people are willing to go through that process and one person isn't, then they're probably not the right person for that club. If the club has chosen that as the way forward to find their person and someone doesn't want to go through that, they're clearly not a right fit for the club and that's a natural thing to do. So at the end of the day, Ross goes on to look for a different opportunity potentially and maybe he will get that at a different club. But Carlton have clearly decided this is the way we're going to go. This is the process that's in place and they're going to find somebody who's on track with that and therefore aligns with their own values, which seems like the right the right thing at the end of the day. I don't know if you guys have been following the story out of Texas over the last week that there's been a change to abortion laws that actually are so draconian and, I mean, I made an I saw Goody Proctor with the devil joke last week on the podcast and, and what these laws are asking is for people to dob in anyone they think has had an abortion and mm. anyone who has had a termination that's been assisted or supported by anyone, whether it's a school counsellor or a parent or a a friend, a next-door neighbour, even the Uber driver, they could all be sued under this new law for assisting a termination, and I should specify, after six weeks. What's interesting is we've seen a few people in Hollywood say they're not going to film movies there, and, and that's actually no small feat because Texas passed a tax law which actually makes it almost like Little Hollywood. It's a cheap place to go and make movies. So it actually is a huge part of industry there. And we saw Lyft, which is like another version of Uber, saying that they were not supporting this and that they would pick up the legal fees of any Lyft driver who was implicated in driving someone to a termination. But what is pressing at the moment is USAFL, which is an American football league that we follow quite closely. The national championships are being played in Texas in six weeks. There's 40 teams going and 1,000 athletes, and a few of them have been saying, are we going ahead? Can we move the competition? Mm. What's happened is that because they're all coming in from so many different places, the COVID overlay makes it incredibly challenging. And most of them have been vaxxed. I think about 80%, maybe more, and maybe you have to be vaxxed to play. I didn't get confirmation on that. But they can't move it out of Texas because there's actually nowhere else for that many people to go and play at this late stage. So I did inquire about how people can protest if they are still playing. And and it turns out that there's absolutely no limitations saying that they're against these laws. But the issue remains that for uh, people who are playing in that league, that they're going to have to go to Texas because otherwise it's actually detrimental for the life of this beautiful competition of Australian rules football in the States because COVID's pretty much reamed to them. It'll be a huge financial loss that they just might not be able to bounce back from if they don't go ahead. And I know that that would be really challenging. What would you do, Lou? Would you go to Texas? It's such a hard question. I've been digging in a little bit about some of the boycotts. There are kind of two schools of thought around boycotting because if you boycott in terms of having an impact on the finances and economy of Texas. Some of the people that will get caught up in that are actually the people who are already struggling and who are already victims of this law. We know that with this law and with a whole lot of financial sanctions, it doesn't always hit fairly. And usually the impact is felt by people 
who from lower socioeconomic groups. I have seen people like Jack Antonov, the music producer, the musician, who has said he will continue to perform his dates in Texas, but he is going to donate to organisations that are pro-choice. So I think that you can find creative ways to to protest and creative ways to try and bring about meaningful change. It's quite scary to see that there are another six states that look like adopting these laws as well. And you talk about Goody Proctor. I heard an interview today on ABCRN with a lawyer who said that the laws could actually mean that somebody in Australia who is trying to send money to support somebody to have a termination could also be sued by somebody in Texas. So it's it's quite extraordinary and it's for bigger legal minds than mine to try and work out how they unpick it, but such a such a challenge for USAFL. That is heartbreaking, Lucy. I didn't actually realise that. But, of course, I mean the, the act of writing this law is an act of evil genius, the way that it's been Velcroed. So many things have been Velcroed to it to implicate so many members of the community. It made me think about the power of sport. And of course, we talk about that all the time here. But one thing that I have been thinking about in terms of AFLW, it is such a young competition that I would say to anyone who's listening that plays in the AFLW competition that we can set our own path there, that we can, we have to be really acutely aware of the power of protest and the power of your voices, that we should never fall into a trap of feeling that we are the AFL-M competition. The AFL-W competition is bound by a set of limitations, rules, equity questions and lived experience that's so different to what male players and and men live through that make sure that you realise that you're in a position of power. And I'm not saying reverse engineer anything, but I'm saying think about these things. What would you do in this moment? What would we do in this moment? How would we respond in this moment? Protest and and bringing attention to things as as a collective group can be incredibly powerful. Also to know that sometimes I think we can become complacent in society because we think, well, that fight has been fought, right? There are always people who want to go back, right? That You need to keep pushing forward. You need to keep being vocal and and live your individual truths and be your own person because there are a lot of people who are happy enough to go backwards. It's not the fights aren't done just because they're in the past. They're ongoing. And so we need to still keep using our voices in new and creative ways like Lucy was saying. You don't have to protest like your grandparents protested. It might be a totally different way, but you can find a way to find your voice and find what you believe in and try and get yourself heard. I think that's super important. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, puppy. (laughs) He's going to go outside and bark. Sorry. (laughs) I heard an incredible conversation on the ticket, which is Tracy Holmes's podcast regarding the evacuation of the Afghan athletes. And One of the things that stayed with me from that conversation, many of the things in that conversation stayed with me, but one thing that I think is really pertinent to what we're talking about is that there are so many sporting organisations have policies around human rights and there will come a time when that needs to leap off the page and actually become action. That's a moment where it can become something 
quite different and all organisations and all athletes need to need to think about what you're going to do when the time for action does come. Yeah. I'll never forget Sean Burgoyne saying during the Adam Goods booing, why didn't I do something more? Why didn't I sit down? Why didn't I walk off the field? Why didn't we as a collective do something? And it was at the Indigenous footballers camp where they all talked about that. It's been well documented. There's a learning from that moment, right? where we mm. think about what our values are and what do we stand for. It's the old saying, you know, the standard that you walk past is the standard that you accept. And I think we see that too much. And what's happening in Texas, like, you're right, Lucy, like for me, I would have said, no, I'm not going. You're quite right. There are different ways to protest. And I do think that if AFL USA do head off, that that's something they could do, you know, make a donation to a corporation that is actually fighting against this. Is there any other Goody Proctor news? <laughs> <laughs> and now we're crossing Proctor. to Goody Proctor. <laughs> Goody, what do you think? Goody Proctor. Mm-hmm. Goody Proctor reporting for the outer sector. <laughs> <laughs> this week I discovered a sister, a sister of the sanctum that from the other side of the Barassi line, from a different code, Katie Brown, who is on SEN in New South Wales as she's a broadcaster and she has played NRL and she was talking about NRLW and, boy, she went there about the organisation because COVID has restricted the number of teams that are going to be able to play. They've now had to postpone the start of the season a couple of times, which she accepts and understands is what's happening with COVID. A questionnaire was sent out to the players, a survey, and they gave the players of NRLW a couple of options and that was travel and put the players in hubs, postpone the season or call the season off. And 75% of players said, put us in hubs, let us let us play, we'll travel, we'll go where we have to go, we want to get the season up and running. But then nothing happened. And they let time lapse and they didn't communicate and they didn't actually work out a plan and now it's all fallen over and there will be no NRLW for those players. And she says this against the backdrop of them, of the NRL actually falling over themselves, the NRLM, I should say, falling over themselves to make sure that players in in the in the NRLM were looked after. And not only that, that also their partners were put on planes, charter planes to get out of town to be able to support their, their partners. And that that was the priority over getting the, N, the NRLW up and running. And she really went off and she nailed it. She, she had a huge conversation about it on air. She wrote an article, which was basically an open letter to the NRL. And then she gathered a bunch of players and got on socials and they had a huge conversation about it. And I just wanted to say shout out to her because she's doing it by herself. She's putting herself out there. That stuff is terrifying to do. And she clearly is passionate about NRLW in the same way that we are about AFLW. She's fighting for it with everything that she's got. And I just wanted to say salute Katie Brown because, you know, code against code and all that kind of stuff, but us sisters have got to stick together. <laughs> and Absolutely. when you see one of, you know, when you see one of us and you go, oh, yeah, she's definitely mm. one of us. So mm. if you haven't, we'll put the links in our show notes, but make sure you go and seek this out because it's a passionate rant that is pure sanctum at its core, Tess. I wanted to run through a brick wall for that woman. I'd watched that video and I thought I could run a marathon. I couldn't. But I was like, I need to do something with this energy. I was so amped up after listening to her. It's unbelievably passionate. And you're right. I watched it. I thought, she's our person. She's one of us. 
and look at her using her voice and did she use it? Go watch it. Oh, it was amazing. She actually made me feel like I needed to do more. Like I felt that inspired by what she was saying, you know. She hit everyone. She did not leave one stone unturned, that woman. And given that they used tow trucks to also relocate the cars of NRL players, I think that anger was very well placed. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any final beeswax, Lucy? I do. I have a little shout out to women on side who have formed the Afghan Football Support Network to assist the members of the Afghan football community, especially the women internationals who've been evacuated from Kabul. You can register your interest in helping support this group of people or you can make a donation and I'll put both of those links in the show notes. Yes, you will. (laughs) When we were little... When we used to have a bath together, Lucy, Felicity and I, Lucy would always sit closest to the hot tap because mm-hmm. she wanted to protect her little sisters in case the tap accidentally turned on. And I see her sit by the hot tap whenever we record as she's just picking up all of the pieces behind me. I'm like a garbage truck and she just runs along behind. <laughs> so, Lucy. You know what you are? You're not a garbage truck. You are actually Emma Stone in the garbage truck dress. <laughs> the nicest thing you've ever said. Cruella. <laughs> because that was a fashion moment. Oh, that's so nice for you to say that. Hey, I do have a fashion moment for you. This is the funnest thing I have listened to in a really long time. It's a podcast suggestion. It's called Sentimental Garbage. And it's basically, it's a podcast all about pop culture. And there was this episode which was about red carpets. And it was fantastic. This episode of Sentimental Garbage talks about red carpets as if it's a sporting event. They make the point that fashion actually is a a greater economy than sport globally and that red carpets are actually a sporting event because they can make or break a young player. So people can basically play such a strong red carpet game that it lifts and elevates them. They go higher in the draft. They get better roles coming forward. They get to play in better positions. There's this point where she's talking about Margot Robbie. Well, she plays for Chanel because she always wears Chanel, so she plays with <laughs> Chanel. And then they bring this moment, this is what reminded me of the rotisserie, they talk about the Emmys where celebrities would be asked to put their, make their fingers walk down a little, it was a manicam, right, where they'd make their little fingers walk down a red carpet and they'd basically be judging how well their manicure was. It was just like a complete mm, gimmick. And a hand bling. That is my actual nightmare, by the way. I've never had a nice nail in my life. <laughs> well, it's anyway, pure rotisserie, right? It's pure Brownlow rotisserie. And the thing that I loved most about it was that Elizabeth Moss from The Handmaid's Tale, she did the finger walk down the little red carpet and then flipped at the bird. And oh. all I could think was oh, I wish someone had flipped the bird on the rotisserie and we'd got the bird in 360 degrees. <laughs> I've been on the rotisserie. No way. Yes, <gasps> I have. Shelly, Shelly, tell us all. Do, I need oh my gosh, funny you going to go there? It was pretty, it was pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I think I nailed the second time. I was feeling hot in my dress and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to show you girls how this is done. And I walked on up there and I tell you what, I looked bloody sensational, <laughs> except I was pissing myself laughing the whole time. <laughs> Wow. I'm so in awe of you doing the rotisserie. I did a little bit of digging in because I love this topic. And one of my favourite moments of the red carpet was Björk in that swan dress at the Oscars in 2001. And it made me kind of think about if there were any omens that we could find from the red carpet. 
and I've found one for you. Of all of the teams that are still remaining and can win the grand final, only one of them has a red carpet connection, and that is the cats. Because in 2019, the cat from Pet Cemetery walked the red carpet <laughs> in a plaid tie. Oh, wow. If any player was ever to wear the Bjerks, oh, right? Wow. Like my instant instinct is to say someone from the Swans. Like I'd love to see Isaac Heaney in the Bjerk dress. Mm. <laughs> However, yes. I actually think Nat Fife would really pull it off. <laughs> totally. The theory might check out. He may have only won the second Brownlow because he wore the cane mm. at the first one. So I feel like that story might, his trajectory really went on to become a second-time Brownlow medalist because he his had that amazing story. outfit because he really took his fashion to the next to the next level mm. in the last couple of years. A handsome Willy Wonka really did it for me. Prelims are my king. Handsome Willy Wonka's <laughs> yours, Jess. <laughs> Um, Well, thanks very much for your tidbit about the um, cat from Cat Cemetery walking the red carpet. (laughs) I think it's time for us to get out of here. Is there anything else? Does anyone else have anything? I mean, you know, I'll give the usual LMCTs at the end. (laughs) Terms and conditions. They apply. Oh, yeah, games this weekend. Okay, ladies, Ds v Cats. Who do you like? Teddy Armstrong. I think the Ds will win, but I'd be thrilled if the Cats win. That's my answer. Such a boring answer. Shelley? Going for the Ds. Lucy Race? Well, I'm also on the Ds, but I will be sparing a thought for our friends at the Significant Others podcast, mm-hmm. Hester Brown and Marty Dangerfield, who are going up against each other. Exactly. Yeah, I'm going for Ooh. Hester Brown as well. On your Marty, I'll go for the Catters of that. <laughs> Nonsense. Three Ds. Go the Catters. Go Geelong. It's a good town. There's 73% vaxxed as a city. Okay. Go Geelong. All right. You've gone there. Are you also going to go for Port Adelaide? Yeah. Yep. I'm on. I'm on. I've been on Port for a long time. So I'm on Port this weekend. I'm also on Port. I'm Port too. Oh, Port Adelaide, girl. How could I not be? Well, I'm going to go for the dogs. The LMCTs for this week. We would love you to rate and review us. Get on board all our socials because we absolutely love hearing from you on all of the socials. (laughs) And tell a friend if you like the pod because it really matters to us to grow this audience of like-minded people. And, of course, the fifth quarter will be out. If you haven't caught up with it, we release a podcast every Friday. It's a beautiful conversation. We've got some absolute crackers coming up some real gems that you don't want to miss. So make sure you're downloading your fifth quarter, which is Sanctum with Benefits on Fridays. Tess, it's been so lovely to see your face. Shelley, we're all going to come to Brisbane with you when you move. (laughs) And Lucy, well done. Well played, sitting by the hot tap as always. Thanks, Em. Let's catch up sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be a stranger. (laughs) All right, are we ready, ladies? There's only one thing left to say. Go Go deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 